This is Franchise Today, brought to you by FRM Solutions, providers of the best-in-class software solutions for franchise relationship management. Franchise Today is your destination for weekly information, conversations, and interviews with accomplished industry leaders, all of whom share best practices for sustainable growth and sensible franchising. Here now, your host, Stan Friedman, to kick off this week's podcast. Today is Wednesday, October 14th. I'm Stan Friedman, and this is Franchise Today. Thanks again to Graham Chapman for joining us last week to help celebrate his and my new partnership with Dave Pazgan, launching Zor Forum, a mastermind-type peer group exclusively for emerging franchisors. Graham, Dave, and I are all really stoked about this concept and launch, and we'll be sharing more with you in the coming weeks and months. Can't thank Graham enough, too, for giving a shout-out to Franchising Freedom, now an international bestseller in four countries and three continents, Australia, Canada, the UK, and right here in the good old USA. Today, though, the conversation shifts to another book, this one soon to be released in early November, also franchise-centric and written by a world-class motivational speaker who has been inspiring audiences for more than 20 years. In early days, his talks were part motivation, part business leadership, inspired by a bout with cancer that inflicted him at an incredibly young age. All of that came, though, before his introduction to franchising. Scott Greenberg joins me on the other side of a quick break with his inspiring life story, which includes a 10-year run as a multiple award-winning, most successful, multi-unit franchisee of Edible Arrangements, and to discuss his upcoming new book, The Wealthy Franchisee. Scott Greenberg, right here in two minutes or less on Franchise Today. Franchise Today will be right back, but first, a word from our sponsors. We are all familiar with Vistage, YPO, and EO. Well, now comes Zor Forum, a somewhat similar type of executive group, but this one comes with a twist. Zor Forum groups are exclusively for franchisors. Imagine a peer group for sharing and networking on a platform built exclusively for franchise executives. Zor Forum members are afforded unparalleled access to best practices and some of the brightest minds within the franchising world through regular meetings and a dedicated communications platform. In this post-COVID world, a franchise-specific mastermind or peer group is an endeavor worth making time for. Zor Forum groups of 6 to 10 will bring leaders together that are in similar situations, but with exclusivity in terms of their competitive sets, so that each can openly help others benefit from their respective knowledge, perspective, and experience with no fear of competitive loss. Network, learn, strategize, and remain motivated along your journey. Join a peer group, not just any peer group. Join the only one designed for emerging franchisors. Join Zor Forum. Learn more at zorforum.org. That's www.zorforum.org. Meet Scott Greenberg, one part business game changer, one part motivational leader, fueled with over 10 years experience as a multi-unit award-winning edible arrangements franchise owner whose operation won international recognition for best customer service and manager of the year. Scott practically wrote the book on what it takes to become next level. Recognized as the franchise influencer, Scott has this uncanny ability to zoom in on a company's opportunities and design game-changing steps to 
grow the business, build high-performing teams, and create unforgettable customer experiences. Going beyond numbers and profits, Scott delves into the human side of businesses to foster connections, build brand loyalty, and deliver memorable impacts on the lives of customers and employees. Improving business from the inside out, he co-created and trademarked an innovative management diagnostic and leadership tool called the Coaching Cure that improves employee mindset, skill set, and performance. Scott gets you out of your head so that you can get into your business, replacing those negative voices in one's mind with one that is overflowing with compassion and dedication to succeed. From McDonald's, Great Clips, Anytime Fitness, GNC, Wyndham Hotel Group, to many other organizations worldwide, one thing is certain. Scott is the go-to expert that franchise brands call to elevate their business to the next level. Scott Greenberg, welcome to Franchise Today. Thank you. Great to be here. You've been very diligent in keeping me abreast of this upcoming book, one that I'm excited to see come to press. When you've got quotes and praise from the likes of Gordon Logan, Peter Cancrow, Rhoda Olson, Paul D'Amico, Doc Cohn, Jen Johnston, Rob Price, Alicia Visconti, Brian Schnell, Tarek Fareed, Chuck Runyon, Catherine Monson, Charles Watson, Dan Harmon, I can go on and on. This book is a who's who of praise and quotes from people who know franchising. And I'm just referring to those on the franchise door side. And I think there are quite a few and almost as many that give praise for this book from the franchisee side, which is really what this book is all about. Well, I'm so grateful that all those people are willing to participate, whether it's to you know sit for interviews or offer some praise for the book. The goal is really to help franchisees. And it's wonderful those names are to associate the book. What's even better is the information that all those people shared in terms of their observations and their advice as to what it takes to succeed in a franchise business. So those are some impressive names, some really great people. I think the people who probably contributed the most were all the franchisees who I interviewed, who are all real high performers, and them willing to share their perspectives, their tactics, their mindsets, and seeing the similarities among all of them, that's where the real gold is in the book. And I think that that's what will be most helpful for readers. And I've done everything but call out the name of the book, The Wealthy Franchisee. Today's conversation is going to be very interesting to the audience because we're talking about something that's important to each and every one of them. Their life's blood is their franchisees. So we're going to get into the meat of the book and talking about what it takes to become a wealthy franchisee, even to define what it is to be a wealthy franchisee. But first and foremost, help us understand how you and franchising found one another. I grew up with a father who is a serial business owner. He never had a career from as early as I can remember. He went from job to job, business to business, including many franchises. At any given evening, he could say, yeah, I quit my job today and I put a deposit down on a, a retail space. I'm going to open up a submarine sandwich shop. And we'd be like, great, can you pass the pepper? Like it was just, that was the norm for me. So it's not that that pushed me in that direction, but it, it opened me to it. I never aspired to own a franchise business. After college, I aspired to be a filmmaker and I got a scholarship to go to film school at New York University. I was there for a semester and was diagnosed with cancer. I found a lump on my neck and eventually a tumor in my chest. And I had to drop out and spend a year back home in San Diego getting treatment. And so I would go into this large chemotherapy room where there'd maybe be 20, 25 people at a time sitting in a circle, hooked up to IVs. I was usually the youngest among them. And what I observed was a few things. And first, you know, at film school, they always used to say, you know, write what you know with a script. 
I was the youngest person in the graduate program, so I knew the least. And I remember thinking, gosh, I wish I could have some extraordinary experience to inform my stories. Be careful what you wish for, Stan. So I got that. But they also really told us to pay attention to the human condition, to how people think and how they interact, really understanding humanity itself, because that's what makes for a good, authentic story. So I noticed all these people in chemotherapy, and some people were really suffering and having a difficult time and snapping at nurses, really miserable. Other people who were just as sick, who were, you know, joking and laughing and really doing all right. Some of them were dying, but boy, on those days they were living. And it made me curious as to why is it in similar circumstances, people respond so differently and ultimately get a different result. I had no idea at the time, but those questions would directly inform my experience in the franchise world because it's the same thing. Lots of people running the same operations, but getting very different results. Well, that experience with cancer led to a year in treatment. I succeeded. I beat the disease. But a colleague was putting on a leadership conference and needed a speaker. And so why don't you come to our event and you know share your story and how it applies to leadership? So I put together what I thought would be a one-off speech, talking less about cancer, more about the way all of us react to adversity. Well, that presentation went very well, and it led to more presentations. And for 20-something years, my phone's been ringing with invitations to come and speak to various groups about leadership, about resilience. And so over you know, the years, a few thousand presentations later, my content has evolved considerably. But I'm always interested in these human elements that we bring to our lives, the way we react to adversity, the way we seize opportunities, the way we control what we can control. So I was doing that for a long time. And then I get married. My wife and I are starting a family. We're preparing to adopt our second child. And I thought, I need to get off the road a little bit. I don't want to stop giving presentations, but I want to just travel and speak a little bit less. And I need some uh, second stream of income. And ideally, something where I can actually engage in leadership. You know, I've been talking about it for years. It's time to actually do it. So just when I had that thought, my father showed me an airline magazine with an ad for edible arrangements. And I saw a picture for the first time of a, a floral arrangement made of fresh fruit. And I thought, that's cool. And Los Angeles is a place where there's lots of gift baskets and gift giving. And I thought, this could be great here. So... Before I knew it, I was on an airplane on the way to Connecticut for a discovery day. And a few weeks later, I started signing lots of things, franchise agreement and a lease, lots of checks uh, on the front of the check, unfortunately, not the back of the check. <laughs> and that, that was the beginning of my 10-year odyssey, still speaking, but running what would ultimately be two edible arrangements franchises. So the first one we built up, there was about 105 locations in California. Usually we ranked in the top five. Very often we were number one. And then six or seven years into that, I acquired a second struggling location that was usually ranked 104th. So the story would probably be better if it was 105th, but it was 104th. I'll give credit to the previous owner. And we turned it around and made it profitable in a year. So I did that. And then that led to a lot of invitations to start speaking at franchise convention. So I, I sold the stores five years ago. And today I'm now back to full-time professional speaking, both live and virtually. Probably about 70% of my audiences are franchises. So over the years, I presented to countless franchise brands. And part of my due diligence is to interview as many franchisees as possible in addition to the franchisor, and especially the top franchisees for each brand, trying to understand what they do that enables them to outdo everyone else. And you do it long enough, you start to see some patterns and you start to see some trends that have very little to do with the specific brand that they are running and actually less about operations than you'd think. It's more about these human elements, what they bring to it that enables them to execute at a higher level. So yeah, so I like so many of your guests, I didn't get out of high school or college thinking I want to be a franchisee, but franchising found me. And so now that's the world that I'm embedded in and I really, really love it and appreciate it. 
and it still appeals to that side of me that's curious about the different results that people get even though they're doing the same thing and how what they bring to the endeavor is what ultimately makes the difference. What was it that motivated the speaking and got you started even before franchising? What were you talking about in general prior to your franchisee days as a, as a Z yourself? So the very beginning of those first few years after the battle with cancer, it was primarily about resilience and overcoming adversity and how leaders need these characteristics and need these behaviors in order to inspire others. So I relied heavily on what's known in speaking as my signature story, sort of using cancer as a metaphor. We all get our cancers. What matters is how we react. So that's a universal message. So that enabled me to speak in a variety of industries, focusing on that. But then it started to expand because I didn't want to just identify myself as a, a cancer survivor. So it went from resilience and overcoming adversity to then mindset and peak performance, and then eventually to building high-performance teams. I always had a lot of questions and curiosity about what are the human factors that enable people to succeed? We can't just wait for the right circumstances. I don't believe it's just hard work. I see a lot of people working very hard. A lot of people focus on tactics who aren't getting results. And so I've been cu always curious about what are those human elements, the psychology, sociology, and the, the, the social dynamics that enable people to succeed. So that's my area of interest. So that's what I was speaking on, still do. But, but back then, that's what I was really focusing on. What's great about the franchise space is we can actually see it in action. We can actually see how resilience, one's ability to clear their head, one's focus on serving others rather than just focusing on themselves, what real leadership is. So it just sort of evolved and Edible Arrangements for 10 years was a bit of a laboratory for me to try these concepts and see what works and what's just a bunch of motivational speaker cliches that really in, in practice don't have any efficacy. So it evolved quite a bit and honestly, it continues to. But the franchise space is a really great place because you're com constantly comparing franchisees and the results that they get. And I'm very interested in why the results differ so much. I'm wondering how motivated you became during your tenure as a franchisee to believe in yourself that you could take this further, that you can carry this message of success that you're exhibiting and take that out well beyond the the Edible Arrangements brand, but taking that as a platform for your speaking and for your business and for your life's mission on a go-forward basis. When did that bell start to ring? That bell rang the day I saw the ad because the goal wasn't just, let's see if I can make money with Edible Arrangements. The goal was, let's see if I can now prove that all these things I've been spouting on stage, let's prove that these things actually work. And I knew that some of it wouldn't. I knew that some of it was, you know, theoretical stuff that people have written books when they haven't actually got up and tried to lead hourly employees. But from the very beginning, the goal was always to learn more about leadership, to really take what I was doing that sounded kind of fluffy just as a speaker on stage. I wanted to be someone who's credible, someone who's done it, someone who's been in the trenches. So my goal was always to learn more, figure out what was true, what wasn't true, but prove my hypothesis that our mindset and collectively the cultures we create, that that is the difference maker between those who are typical and those who are next level. So that was always part of what I wanted to do. I always saw the business as as much a laboratory as it was a source of revenue. And, and so constantly I was journaling and keeping track of everything that I was learning and really paying attention. But now that my family's finances were at stake, I was certainly a lot more invested. Oh, I'll bet you were. I remember a quote from a book that has been a very, very valuable part of my career written by Stephen Covey called Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. And the thing I'm reminded of when I hear you talk and listen to what it is you speak about. There's one quote that I'll always remember from Covey's book, and that was that our circumstances are more a function of our decisions than they are of our conditions. 
That's something you would definitely agree with, wouldn't you? Absolutely. And obviously, there are things that happen to us that we can't control. Certainly, the pandemic is the most moderate, you know, clear example of that. But in any set of circumstances, whether it is a pandemic, whether it is a bad economy, whatever the situation, there are plenty of areas where we still have control. And so the idea is to maximize our ability there where we do have control. And, you know, one of the things I say in the book is until you have really embraced the uh, what I call the wealthy franchisee mindset, until you're really giving customers a mind-blowing experience, until you're really developing your employees, you don't know how good your business really is. That it's easy to blame the pandemic, it's easy to blame your circumstances, but you really can't until you've embraced all the things that wealthy franchisees do. That's the only way to know how good your business is. So my belief is even in the pandemic, most people have a better business, a better opportunity than they think, but they just may not be maximizing that opportunity because they haven't leveled up their own mindset, their own leadership, their own way of thinking. Tell you what let's do. Let's take a quick break right here. And when we come back, let's dive into the definition of how you term a wealthy franchisee and then what it takes to become one. We'll be right back after these words from our sponsors with Scott Greenberg. More conversation to come. Franchise Today will be right back, but first, a word from our sponsors. This portion of Franchise Today is brought to you by Zoracle, providers of spot-on profiles, the gold standard of assessment tools that assure you're selecting the right franchisees every time. Unlike DISC or others that simply gauge personality or communication styles, Zoracle's spot-on assessments are all franchise-specific and based upon seven sciences that nail the results each and every time. Your prospects simply answer a few questions online, and like magic, Zoracle's algorithms scientifically slice, dice, and analyze their thresholds for risk, their business acumen, and even their propensity for single or multi-unit ownership. Zoracle's spot-on analysis is like having a crystal ball, but there's no hoodoo here. It's all based upon science that flawlessly determines franchisee, franchisor compatibility, and accurately predicts performance. Why don't you schedule a demo today and take a complimentary look and see for yourself. It's the closest thing to a sure thing. Zoracle, spot on assessments based on science, but delivering results that seem simply magical. Check them out at www.zoracleprofiles.com. Com. And we are back with Scott Greenberg, soon to be a best-selling author. We were talking a little bit about franchising freedom on our break and my participation in that project. And I've received in this book great things in The Wealthy Franchisee. I want to ask you to please define that for us. So many people can have different views, Scott, of what wealth means. What's your definition as defined in this book? So my criteria for being a wealthy franchisee is threefold. The first is the most obvious one, which is financial payoff, that the goal for so many people who get into any business is to have more money in their pocket at dinner than they had at breakfast. So obviously there needs to be some good payoff. And so that's relative though, right? Everybody has their own definition of you know how much money they need. It's also relative to their expectations. It's relative to what they invested in the first place. And it's relative to where they live. I live in Los Angeles. My brother lives in Greensboro, North Carolina. So my house is worth twice as much as his, but it's half the size. So he can live better with less money than I can here in Los Angeles. So no matter what, you should still be able to get paid well for your efforts. So that's the most obvious one. And I think that's probably what gets the most people's attention. But there's more to it than that. If you look at a profit and loss statement, the top half is the revenue and the bottom half are the expenses. The bottom half tells you what it costs to acquire 
acquire the revenue at the top. But what the bottom half of the expenses doesn't share is how much time it took to generate that revenue. So last week I gave a presentation for a franchise brand, believe it or not, it was live, but I asked by a show of hands, how many would be happy making a million dollars with your business? And all the hands went up and I said, wait a second, let me finish the question. How many would be happy making a million dollars from your business over the course of 25 years? All the hands went down. They're working way too hard to only make $40,000 a year. So it's not just about what you make, but it's also about the time that you invest. So two people can be grossing $1 million in their franchise, but if one of them is doing it working 75 hours a week and the other one's doing it working 20 hours a week, the one who's been working a lot longer, they're investing a lot more. And they might be missing out on their kids' Little League games and ballet recitals. They might be having tension with their spouse because of all the stress. So the second criteria is control of your time. So it's about being able to maximize revenue, but also not necessarily have to put all your time into it. So wealthy franchisees are very deliberate about their time. They are home for dinner if they want to be. The great franchisees I met are able to travel. I met one person who I believe is number one in his system. He spends uh, three months of the year in a different city from his territory because he has pieces in place that enable him to do it. So wealthy franchisees are not workaholics. They work hard, but they're very deliberate about their time. Now I met one franchisee who owns eight locations and she and her husband operate all of them with only one assistant manager and they work like crazy because they choose to. So criteria, first criteria we need is that there's good financial payoff. The second one is being able to have control over your time. The third criteria is quality of life. Your life should be better for having the business in it. I very much enjoyed being a franchisee with edible arrangements, except on Valentine's Day. I hated Valentine's Day. It was such a big operation, so complicated and so stressful. At the end of the day, I would collapse and I would force myself to try to go out to dinner with my wife, but it was just painful because of all the stress. And I remember thinking, I don't care how much money I'm making today. It is not worth it. I'm going to sell the business. But we have a saying in the industry that February 15th always comes. That's when I would calm down and clear my head and then I would be grateful. So a couple of days a year being that stressed out, I can handle. But if it was always that way, or if that's how I responded to it, that's not wealth. That's taking away from my life. So things like quality of life and time, we have to take these into consideration. You can always make more money, but you can't get back more time. So to be a wealthy franchisee means you're maximizing revenue. It means you're in control of your time and that you have better quality of life because you have the business in it. I always tell people that it's important to realize that we have to trade in multiple currencies and making money, obviously, as you said, you have to make bank. But one of the other currencies that I think is critically important to the success of a franchisee is their level of passion for the business that they're in. And to me, that's another currency. And you've got to be able to trade in that currency and appreciate the value of what the quality of life is that you're gaining because you've got passion. If you never needed to make money again, what would get you up in the morning, what would fire you up with fire in your belly to get started on this day and go achieve whatever that is, fill in the blank. To me, that is currency. Would you agree? I would absolutely agree. What is interesting, though, is where that passion comes from. I have one section where I talk about the myths of wealthy franchisees, and one of them is that they love the business. And I got different responses when I interviewed various franchisors or franchisees about that. There are some who really love pest control. They get out of bed wanting to kill bugs. And there's some who, who really are passionate about frozen yogurt. But then I met other people who could sort of take or leave the widget that they sell, but they love something about it. And that was the case for me. My edible arrangements locations, we did very well, but I wasn't especially passionate about fruit or fruit baskets. What did get me excited was being in the celebration business, helping people commemorate the special occasions in their lives. That's kind of what charged me up. That was where there was emotional resonance. So one of the characteristics that I did find 
among all the top franchisees who I've met over the years and who I interviewed for the book is something about the business excites them. And it might be the frozen yogurt or pest control. It might be the ability to interact and inspire employees. It might be the way they make their customers feel. Something about their business gets them excited. So there's always some passion that they have, but it's not necessarily about the thing that they sell. It might that, be something about the process. Yeah, I can relate to that. I've shared many times in my years in the chicken wing delivery business as a franchisor, sitting in front of a TV and having the chicken wings delivered to you is a much different experience than being behind the counter and having hot fry oil spilling all over you and managing a team of drivers. So I get that. I think that that's an important distinction that many franchisors have to call out with prospective franchisees about what it is a day in the life will be in that business. Because if you're in a sports business like I-9, it's not being on the bench coaching. and That's not where the franchisor wants to see his franchisees. They want him in the front office managing the business growth in its marketing. So I do think that there must be some driving passion and currency for that is as important as the wealth that you make from the take on making money in your business. You talk a lot too about cause marketing and the difference between giving and giving back. How do you define that? I am not a fan of giving back. I'm a huge fan of giving. The idea of giving back means that you owe someone something, that there's a quid pro quo, that you've worked hard and people have supported you and you've made your money. And so now it's time to give it in return. But it implies that you have to get something first. So I encourage people, I don't care if you're 22 years old and someone lends you money and you're barely scraping by, donate $5 a year to your community before you've even made anything. You want to do that. You want to be the one who gives first. What other people give back to you. I think that when we think in those terms, not that we have a debt, but that we want to use our business to improve the lives of everyone it touches. And that's one of the three major points of the book of how to become a wealthy franchisee. The third one that I list is to use your business to improve the lives of everyone it touches. And we do this by putting value out into the world to our customers, to our employees, to their community, even to our franchisor and to our vendors. Just give, serve, put value out there. There is a boomerang effect. I believe that's what's best for business. Business, but even if you don't care about the world, you just want to make as much money as possible. It just so happens that the best way to do that is still to be a giver. So don't wait. Don't feel like you want to get paid first and you're going to pay people back. Just come from a place of love, from a place of giving. It's a better way to live. It also happens to be the best way to grow your business. You know, you bring truth to life. I think about a Blimpy store that I was part of the Blimpy organization many years ago. We had one store in, in the metro Atlanta area that just seemed to always find its way to bankruptcy. And two or three times over the course of a few years, that store was under different ownership. The third time, that store went from being one of the worst in the system to the number one in Georgia and then on to number one in the U.S. and then on to number one in the world. And literally, same store, same brand, just a different operator who probably had more of your type of mindset than those that preceded him. So there's a lot of truth to real estate and location being important, and there's a lot of truth to running a good operation, but there's not enough spoken about and especially by franchisors, I believe, in their training and even in their selection processes about the psychological side of the business and who it is that's getting the keys to that front door and the ops manual and the training. And what's going to come from that is as much a part of their psychological preparation as it is their physical training. Would you agree? I would agree. And I would say that you have just lasered in on the number one most important thing in franchising that does not get talked about enough, which is what it is that the individual franchise 
franchisee psychologically brings to their business. They say in real estate, the most important thing is location, location, location. So one of the myths in franchising is that those people, they're doing really well because they have a really great location. People thought that about my first edible arrangement store. We serve the Beverly Hills, West Hollywood area. So people assumed that our customer base was wealthy and just would come into our store every day with a stack of Benjamins and want to buy these big, enormous fruit arrangements. That's not how it was. In fact, because it was such a wealthy community, it wasn't as dense. There weren't as many people. They didn't necessarily want to spend more money. There was a lot of vehicular traffic. It took longer to make deliveries. There's a lot of challenges there. It had less to do with our location. And it's more about the level of service that we brought, the way we treated our employees. And in researching this book and meeting all these great franchisees, some of them have you know some pretty good locations. Most of them have, have average locations, but they operated at a higher level and people are willing to travel. In one case, one of the top franchisees for the UPS store, an enormous franchise. He's over the years, he's owned five locations. Twice, he's built number one locations in the entire system. In both cases, he took them over from people who were struggling. The first one had no particular advantage with their geography. It was a very average location, but he blew his customers' minds. He grew it into a successful location. The second one, not only was it also a mediocre location, it was two doors away from a FedEx office store. So he established competition right there. The previous owner struggled. He took it over using the same tactics with that mindset. He made it number one in the system. So very often great locations are either too expensive or they're just not available. What wealthy franchisees do is they take good enough locations and they make them great. And every franchise system has stories of a struggling location that thought it's because their geography was bad. They got out. Another franchisee with a better mindset took it over and turned it into a winner. So location matters. It can help, but it's not the true X factor. The X factor is the individual franchisees command over the human elements over which they are completely in control. I think it's a lot to do with the three different letters in the word victim or victor. The difference in those three letters are all in the mind, 100% in the mind. It's true. And every franchisor wants their franchisees to succeed. But when you look at most of the support that they provide franchisees, it's almost always operational in nature. Now, when they bring me in to speak, franchisees, they're great people, but they're nervous or they don't want to adapt to change or they're not serving customers as well as they could. So that no one comes to me and says, hey, Scott, we really need your help changing our marketing or coming up with a new recipe for frozen yogurt. The concerns they want me to address are more rooted in the human elements. And franchisors, they're experts in cheeseburgers, in pest control, in in-home senior care. That's their expertise, how to create those systems, how to replicate them. But in terms of helping the franchisee operate with courage, to clear their mind, to build trust, to get away from facilitating transactions and instead elevating the emotional state of customers, that's not necessarily their area of expertise. But these are the things that franchisees need if they want to thrive. So it's tough for a franchisor because that's a whole other area that franchisees need, but it's not necessarily in their wheelhouse as well. There's so much that's got to get done that it's a miracle if they can even give all that information to franchisees. But it's critical if franchisees want to get to the next level. Have you been profiled by any of the profiling tools like Zoracle, Spot On Profiles, or any of those that focus on the attributes of success in franchising that a franchisee brings with him versus what he takes from the franchisor? I personally have not, but I do hear about that a lot. And I know that there are a lot of companies, Sport Clips, Haircuts is one of them that actually uses uh, personality profiles when vetting 
franchisees, which I think is great. I also support when franchisees use this to profile employees. I do believe that human beings are very complicated and we shouldn't rely solely on the profiles, but I do think that anything that gets us looking beyond just, do I like this person? Do I think they're qualified? Anything that gets us really thinking about their characteristics, whether they're characteristics they naturally have or things they can develop, that's the right kind of questioning compared to just, can you afford to buy a franchise? Or, you know, let me see your resume. I think these characteristics are hugely important in terms of identifying them and in terms of developing them. That's really the difference between typical franchisees and those who get wealthy. Well, I'm going to introduce you to Rebecca Monet, who's actually one of our sponsors, and she's somebody I believe needs to know you, and I think you'll do very well knowing her. Her assessments are not personality. They are psychological. They are actually informed by seven different sciences. I think that's great. If that you know helps anybody become more self-aware, that is invaluable information. I could not agree with you more. Scott, we're at the juncture where it's time for me to ask you, what didn't I ask? I would love the opportunity to spoil the book. The three takeaways that I want people to have, because even if people just listen to this conversation, don't buy the book, I still want to be helpful. So I want to share what these three main ideas are that will help franchisees. Fire away. So the first one is your ability to clear your head, to be humble enough to identify all the thoughts and fears and the catastrophizing and the biases that you might bring to your own business. Every franchisee brings something to their own business. And some of these things are assets. Some of these things are liabilities. And I don't support positivity. I think positivity causes people to make impulsive decisions. We can't boost our sales on faith and we can't find more employees just based on optimism. We need data. So I don't propose positivity. I don't propose negativity. I propose clarity. So being able to identify all the biases, all the fears, all the over-enthusiasm we have to clear your brain of those things to be as objective as possible. And that's hard to do. So the first thing is, identifying all the what I call mind traps that we have, especially we as franchisees. I, in the book, I get some very specific ones that are, I don't want to say are unique to franchisees, but are common among them. To identify where we're engaging these things and clear your head so you can get rid of all the extra emotion, get rid of all the extra thoughts, and just be as objective as possible. So that's number one, operate with a clear head. The second thing that I see consistently among great franchisees is they stick to the system. They are not innovative. They are creative. Or they are, but they don't tap into that innovation or creativity too much. They're experts on execution. They have mitigated risk by buying into a proven system, and they don't want to expose themselves to that risk by deviating. So that's a hard thing for me to share with franchisees because they think I'm being a hack when a franchisor brings me on stage to say, hey, you know, toe the line, stick to the system. It just so happens that it's true. All the top wealthy franchisees I interviewed, they stick to the system. Sometimes they have even higher standards, but they embrace the system. And if they have ideas or objections, they work constructively with the franchisor to address them. But they're interested in not just in their own business, they're interested in the brand. So clear your head, stick to the system. The third thing is use your business to improve the lives of everyone it touches. Obviously that's your customers, but it's also your employees. Don't just direct their work, develop them, grow them into leaders. There's correlations between employee satisfaction and customer service. And obviously there's correlation between customer service and sales. So wake up every single day to say, I'm going to use my business to make the world better, to elevate the emotional state of everyone it touches. If you forget or don't even read all the details, all the advice, all the tactics in the book, but if you can operate with a clear head, if you stick to the system and philosophically use your business to improve the lives of everyone else, you will 
will get wealthy as a franchisee. Scott, this is a great book. I appreciate the advanced copy. My comment is that this book becomes a roadmap that franchisees will keep by their sides and make reference to on a regular basis because it's got that kind of quality to it. And you, sir, I've seen referred to as one part motivational leader and one part business game changer with this book because I truly believe that the reach of this book is going to offer you the opportunity to become that much more of an influencer than you already are. Scott Greenberg, I can't thank you enough for coming, but before I let you go, please share with the audience how to find you. My website is scottgreenberg.com. That's B-E-R-G, scottgreenberg.com. All my contact and social media links are there. The book, The Wealthy Franchisee, is already available on amazon.com or wherever books are sold for pre-sale. But if anybody has any questions at all, whether it's a franchisor or franchisee or anybody at all who just wants to pick my brain, I'd be thrilled to hear from you. Let's let you get back with us sometime down the road for a follow-up conversation, maybe on the second book or the second printing of the first book. What do you think? Would love it. All the best to you with this new book, The Wealthy Franchisee. Thanks so much. I kid you not, this book is like a roadmap that every franchisor should share with their executives and their franchisees. It goes deep into issues that most franchisors simply don't train on and has demonstrated life-changing differences in the lives of those that Scott has touched. It is truly a game changer. Well, that's a wrap for today. Please keep doing the best you can, and I'll continue wishing you the best, the very best of all things franchising, and Franchise Today is out. Franchise Today is a production of FRM Solutions, providing best-in-class CRM tools to empower relationships with prospective and existing franchisees. No excuses, just solutions. Find them online at frmsolutions.com. Join Stan every Wednesday at noon Eastern for another live episode of Franchise Today. Or, as always, download episodes on demand at blogtalkradio.com or iTunes.